Yo, I'm uh, walking home in a frozen Canadian night. It's dark and snowy, so I just thought I'd record a little podcast to get my mind off of uh, the horror. I just thought I'd do a little podcast about the HBO Last of Us show. I just, uh, I just try not to get excited about stuff anymore. Because it's just kind of not worth it, you know? I feel like, you know, work on your own stuff. Worry about your own art. Don't get too excited for other people's stuff because, uh, you know, you just might get let down. Expectation is a killer. So, I mean, even when The Last of Us came out, I deliberately didn't watch a lot of trailers or dig into it too much. I just knew I liked Uncharted already. New Naughty Dog game, good enough. I'll just go buy it. And I was extremely pleasantly surprised. But when they announced The Last of Us Part 2, you know, I thought, well, that's a very unnecessary sequel. But hey, whatever. Like, it's just, uh, just don't get too invested. That's all. Just let it happen. That's an interesting thing to try. Let's see what happens. Then all the leaks happened, but I didn't care because I didn't pay attention. Then all the divisive reviews came out, but I didn't care because I didn't pay attention. Then I finally played it and I didn't like it. And I also didn't care. <laughs> like, oh, well, whatever. Didn't work. Who cares? So that's very much the tack I was taking with the HBO show. It's like, oh, interesting. They're trying out this thing. It seems good. You know, this Craig Mazin guy, critically acclaimed, well-respected. HBO, a critically acclaimed, well-respected network. I didn't watch The Mandalorian, but I was aware of it. I knew this guy playing Joel was uh, very famous because of this Star Wars show he was in. And I can't fault any production for that. It's like, I don't know if this guy's the right Joel, but he's the famous guy. And that's very important, <laughs> just for things to uh, have any kind of fucking visibility for anyone to care you do kind of need a famous guy in there so hey you're the famous guy go go ahead good enough so it seemed like it had a lot of things going for it but again i was like whatever it'll happen it'll be a thing don't get invested just worry about your own shit i'm like deprogramming my previous nerd self like when i was younger and got all invested in everything got all Oh no, they canceled a thing. Or oh no, this sequel didn't turn out. Like, who cares? Who fucking cares? And then right before the show came out, I was uh, concerned because they put out this trailer that had the spooky version of Take On Me in it, which I had to be reminded. It was like, oh, that's from The Last of Us Part Two. Ellie plays that song. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But still, why is that in this trailer? It was corny in The Last of Us 2. It's corny in this because it's just this thing that's been happening lately. Like, oh, here's the scary, spooky, somber version of an old pop song. It's a, it's a cliche at this point. It's overdone. That made me downright worried. I was like, uh-oh. That was just, uh, that was a fumble. But again, whatever, okay, let's just hope. Let's just, not even hope, let's just wait. Let's just allow this to happen and see how it turns out. And I guess one thing I've realized is, man, it is easy to just not pay attention to stuff. You know, I was like, all right, the HBO Last of Us show is out. Rather than watch it right away, rather than watch it immediately, 
I dragged my feet for like almost a whole week. And it was very easy to do. <laughs> like when you're kind of uh, really tied into whatever little communities and whatever little subcultures and fandoms, it feels big. It feels like everyone's talking about something. But the reality is nobody cares about anything. It's the easiest thing in the world to just sort of not hear about stuff, to avoid spoilers, or just to avoid all discussion. Alright, let's skip ahead a couple of days. It was way too cold that night, <laughs> so I had to stop recording. But I just wanted to talk briefly about The Last of Us. We'll just even talk about just the start of the first episode, because, you know, by the time this comes out, the series will be midway through its run anyway. But I did want to record a little something just because it's very nice that The Last of Us HBO show has kind of given me back the sort of Last of Us feeling, you know, the feeling I had about this media property <laughs> that caused me to write a whole book about it, you know? Like, that's been gone for a very long time. Because The Last of Us was amazing, the Left Behind DLC was amazing, and then ever since the PlayStation 3 era ended, just Naughty Dog in general, the magic is gone. I did not like Uncharted 4, I thought it was incredibly boring. And The Last of Us 2, I mean, hey, <laughs> it wasn't boring! I'll give it that, as uh, I've probably said somewhere else, but uh, if The Last of Us 2 had come out first, I think I would have liked it, because it's so zany. You know, like I would have liked it in like a B-movie way, of like, this is really weird. Just this crazy chick on a rampage, stabbing the fuck out of everyone. With the fight, 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 bite, bite, bite finale. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, what kind of lunatic wrote this? Like, I think I would have liked it in a weird way. But as a sequel to The Last of Us, to the nice, grounded Last of Us, The Last of Us Part Two is the least grounded fucking story I can imagine. It is all over the place. And my feelings had changed so much that I don't know, like my pet theory is that I guess Bruce Straley had a lot more to do with The Last of Us' success than I realized. Because there are all these, these stories of like the, the early versions of The Last of Us that are quite bad, you know? Like the idea that uh, while escaping from Boston, Tessa's brother who works for Fedra would get killed and it would lead Tess on a revenge mission to follow Joel and Ellie across America. You know, very unrealistic, very silly. And just how remarkably similar that is to the silly revenge mission of The Last of Us Part Two. Like, I, I feel like maybe Bruce Straley was the guy saying, hey, we got to uh, bring this back down to earth, you know? <laughs> like. Maybe he was the one keeping things so grounded. Because in The Last of Us Part Two, even on a surface level, just like how they talked about uh, having a dodge button in the first Last of Us, and they took it out because uh, it didn't fit. But all of a sudden in The Last of Us Two, 
You got a dodge button, you got a jump button. I fucking hate that jump button. <laughs> that shit sucks. So pointless. I loved the contextual clambering in The Last of Us 1. It all felt so natural and felt so good. There's no need to let your video game character just randomly jump. Nobody jumps in real life. <laughs> it's not a thing. So just again, these are all my pet theories, but on a very surface level, it feels like some kind of regulator got removed and Neil Druckmann was just left to his own devices. And, and it was just so weird because I wrote a whole book about what a genius this guy was and how amazing all these choices were and how all these little details were just incredible. And then he just flip-flops to like, wow, this guy sucks. This guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. This is terrible. This feels like Last of Us fan fiction that somebody who doesn't really understand The Last of Us wrote. So my uh, distrust <laughs> of Druckmann as an author had uh, it just completely 180'd to the point that when I saw his name in these HBO credits at the start of the show, wasn't a good thing, you know? I should have been glad he was involved and glad that somebody so close to the original project was one of the people involved in this show. But instead it made me, like, nervous. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, why are they letting that fucking hack near this? Like, I know it sounds terrible to say, but the proof is in the pudding, dude. The Last of Us 2 is just so fucked up. And unrepentantly fucked up, you know? I mean, Druckmann, he did what he wanted to do. He really thinks it's good. That's even scarier, you know? It's like, wow, what the fuck happened? What happened? It's like Cordyceps took over this guy's brain. The author of The Last of Us 1 and the author of The Last of Us 2 feel like radically different people to me. So I don't know how much uh, his involvement in the show is even relevant, but I think what seemed apparent right away, and I guess why I wanted to do this little podcast is because it's like quite amazing how quickly the HBO Last of Us show really plants its feet of feeling the same way I felt about the original Last of Us, that no, this is going to be carefully considered. This is going to be well done. This is going to be grounded. These choices are going to make sense. So in the case of the show, the main director showrunner guy is this dude Craig Mazin, who got famous for doing a mini-series about Chernobyl, which I did not watch, but was very critically acclaimed. I mean, I'm curious, I might go watch it, because because it really feels like this guy knows TV. This guy knows how to make a TV show. This guy knows how to adapt a story. Because even just taking the opening, the opening of the game, pre-apocalypse, the Sarah part, I mean, in some ways, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? It's like the most awesome opening maybe ever for a video game. Really emotionally resonant, really sticks with you. I always enjoy like watching new people on Twitch or whatever play The Last of Us and they're joking around and talking to their stream or whatever. And then Sarah's death happens and they shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know? It's just like, what the fuck? 
So in some ways, maybe it's hard to mess up because it's such a good intro. But all of these choices and all of these additions, they all made so much sense and they all kind of uh, added to the story. Oh man, I could practically use some snowshoes out here. It's very pretty. This is a lot of snow. But as far as things in the opening of The Last of Us show, I guess like the first thing that kind of stood out to me was instead of, oh, well, I guess the first thing are those scientists in the 60s talking about how a fungus could conceivably take over a human. And it was so good because <laughs> like it literally is just, just a lore dump, literally just a guy explaining. But there's a good and a bad version of everything, you know? where this could be just a boring science guy talking about science. It was relatively short and it was just really well done. Just done in this kind of gripping way of like you're really listening to this guy. And he's talking about these fungus that can take over insects that he thinks are more dangerous than bacteria because we've evolved to fight back against bacteria but not against this fungus stuff. And the reason we haven't fought back against the fungus is because it doesn't affect people. It in fact doesn't affect anything above a certain temperature level. But then he theorized, what if the earth gets warmer? What if the temperatures rise? And what if this fungus is forced then to adapt to the higher temperatures? And that brings us into the sphere of what it is able to connect with and what if it takes over our brains? <laughs> and it's just like, that's so neat because it's uh, just that one little extra layer of just allowing you to buy into the fiction because global warming is very demonstrably real. It's, you know, very obviously happening. Even here where I'm talking about all this snow, it's nice that all this snow finally hit, but it took forever. I mean, I'm in Canada. It's supposed to be freezing and cold. And it's just been raining. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Where did winter go? So it's something we're all very aware of. And it really gives you just that little extra foot in the door of like, hey, well, you know, all right. I am willing to buy into this fiction. So that was cool. Then in the story proper, rather than 2013, it's 2003. I don't know, uh, especially what relevance that change has, but it doesn't really matter either way. I mean, I guess just so that the year the story's taking place in could be our current year. But uh, I never think about what year it was in The Last of Us because it's irrelevant, you know? <laughs> it's like the year number is just, it's just erased, it's just gone. It's not applicable to society anymore. So, I mean, I feel like that's a neutral change. But the first little difference that I noticed in just Joel and Sarah's household life is instead of the cordyceps really kind of just hitting sort of out of nowhere, there's this little reference to something happening on the other side of the world. Just something on the news that of course you don't really pay that much attention to because things are happening all the time. Crazy stuff is always happening on the news. Like just today I just saw on the edge of my phone screen something about California. 
at least 10 people dead in California, I didn't click on it because there's always something. There's always something happening, you know? If it's really big, if it's really crazy, I'll hear about it again. That's not how I need to start my morning. So it's a perfect example of if a big crazy apocalypse was starting to happen, I guarantee you I would miss the first wave of information because I deliberately kind of don't pay attention. There's just too much to care about. And this is exactly that, you know? It's like whatever that was on the news, who knows? Instead it's just Joel asking like, Jakarta, where's that? <laughs> you know? Just a little geography conversation, but it just plants that little seed of like, uh-oh, something's happening, <laughs> something's happening somewhere. It's like, man, great, that's great, what a great little thing to do. And then I guess the next thing, where I was still kind of in cynicism mode, I hadn't quite figured out yet that this was a good show, was that we see Sarah actually go get Joel's watch fixed. And my first little thought is, are they just padding this out to fill TV? You know, since most of the game is crawling around picking up resources <laughs> and shooting people. Obviously none of that stuff can be in the show. You need to fill the time with something. So are we just going to go watch Sarah get the, get the watch fixed for no reason? But the store she goes to has, I think it's a Lebanese flag. I'm a little ignorant of my flags, I'm not sure. But, you know, even if you're an ignorant North American like me, you know, it reads as other side of the world flag. And in that shop, there's the guy fixing the watch, but then the other lady who works there or lives there is extremely agitated. Is like, hurry up and get this done and get this person out of here. We're locking up the store. She tells Sarah, like, you get the fuck home. Doesn't explain what's going on, but it just so clearly ties into that Jakarta thing of like people who have family and have connections on other continents, they have already, like the insinuation is clear, they have already begun to experience the Cordyceps pandemic fucking apocalypse shit. They already know that everything's going crazy. And I just, man, it's so good. It's like, damn it. Like, that's where uh, the switch flipped in my brain. That was enough things. The scientist at the start, the reference to Jakarta, the fact that we went to go see the watch get fixed, not as padding, not as filler, but to add to the mounting pressure. That was enough for me to think like, okay, I'm feeling good about this. This is not an accident. The people behind this show know what they're doing. And it's like, man, that's a good feeling. Particularly when it's something, you know, it's not just some random show, but it's uh, something that you're invested in. Like in this case, The Last of Us, it's like, ah, it's in good hands. Because, I mean, for instance, I did not see the Uncharted movie, but my friend Mike did. He's the one who introduced me to, the, to Uncharted originally. He's the whole reason I ever played Naughty Dog games in the first place. And he hated it. He said it was terrible. And of course, video game movies and TV shows in general, I mean, it's just crazy. It's decades of being terrible, <laughs> you know? It's only very recently that things are starting to turn around. 
And by starting to turn around, I really only mean that League of Legends show. I haven't seen it yet, but, you know, people like it. That's not exactly a pattern, <laughs> you know? So just to get that feeling like, oh man, but already at this point, like, you know, whatever that was, 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in, I was like, oh no, this is good. Wow, this is actually good. And I guess like I didn't expect even the, the sweep of relief I felt, I guess uh, gives away that as much as I was trying not to get invested and trying not to care, I still really wanted this to be good. I would so much prefer that it be good than that it be bad. And that became obvious when it's just like, ah, oh, wow, what a relieving feeling. How nice that this is good. It's just obviously good. I haven't heard any backlash about this show. Everything I've heard is positive and it deserves it. And it's like, wow, that's fucking awesome. That's how The Last of Us is supposed to feel. It's not supposed to be this weird divisive thing where half the fans defend it and half the fans hate it and all this shit. It's not fucking supposed to be that. The Last of Us is supposed to be the best. <laughs> and it's like, thank God, thank God it is once again. Then there were uh, the neighbors, you know, just the same, uh, same thing again. They introduced these neighbors and I'm like, what are the, who are these neighbors? The old lady next door who is wheelchair bound, potentially paralyzed. And that also paid off big time because that's Sarah's first introduction to what the cordyceps can do instead of just uh, old crazy Jimmy from next door banging into the glass window, which was, you know, not bad. All of the stuff in the game was fine. I don't necessarily think any of this stuff would have been required in the game. I think the game was just fine at the length that it was. You know, you maybe wouldn't want to drag things on for too long. You know, the game was like 15 minutes. The show is like 35. That might be a little much. So for the game, it's fine. But for the show, it was so cool to show what the cordyceps is going to do to people. Like, what could be a better example than a wheelchair-bound old lady? Not only is there no conceivable way for this old lady to be threatening, there's very little conceivable way for her to even move. It seems unlikely that she can stand up. But once the cordyceps takes you over, you're just a shell. You're just being controlled by the fungus, so much so that this lady is the fucking... She's the, she's the zombie from Resident Evil 1, you know? <laughs> that first one that is chewing on a corpse and turns to look at you. In this case, it's an old lady, and she's scary as shit, and Joel has to beat her to death with a fucking wrench. It's like, awesome. Oh my god, so good. So I guess that's all I really want to say about the show, because, uh, it just kind of has continued in that vein so far of just, uh, the additions all seem good. The additions all seem to make sense. Even the corny commercial, the trailer they put out with the spooky version of Take On Me that I just was like, oh, nothing took away more of my faith than that. Because it was just such a cliche and such an overused trope. And it's a weird thing from The Last of Us 2 anyway. And it just, I was like, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't feel slick. That feels the opposite of slick. But they even kind of justified that because the radio code Joel uses 
to know if something's wrong is the genre or the decade of music. And 80s music means trouble. And I'm like, all right. Even that terrible dumb thing that you did in that trailer has a little bit of justification, at least a little. And yeah, I guess the only major change so far is that Joel is still in contact with Tommy, which I feel like is kind of going to interrupt things. It seemed kind of relevant to me in the game that they'd been estranged for many years. The feeling I got was Joel thought he might never see Tommy again, and that's fine, because whatever, he's just weird fucking cranky old fuck. But I'm not concerned, <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, that's an odd choice. That's the one I don't, f uh, I don't quite follow so far, but, but everything else has gone so well that I'm not concerned. I'm <laughs> like, ah, it'll work out. Whatever they decide to do, it'll work out. I guess all that remains to be seen at this point is uh, if they do a season two, then what's going to happen? Because with all of these little wise choices and interesting little changes and the way things loop in on themselves and like any additional scenes tend to be additive, you know, it doesn't feel like there's anything just haphazardly thrown in. I have to imagine that when Craig Mazin looks at the events of The Last of Us Part Two. I have to assume he will have significant questions, <laughs> significant issues with how that's laid out, even just purely from, you know, like I said, this is clearly a person who knows how to tell a story on TV. They know how to write a TV show. The Last of Us 2, as it is, it just, there's no conceivable way that could work. It's so all over the place and it's so, there's so many pills to swallow. You know, like, The Last of Us 2 feels like the author pushing you down the stairs. Like, here's the new paradigm, here's how everyone is, here's how Ellie is, here's what she's doing. Push down the stairs. Get used to it, fucker. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you sure did a bad job of that, because I am just flatly rejecting all of this. So I'm really curious what will happen. I mean, what I would do is just radically change it, just go in an entirely new direction. But I'm very interested because uh, where I don't really feel like The Last of Us Part Two is particularly salvageable, if they did this good of a job with the first game, I mean, whatever happens, it will be better. I'm very confident that whatever they do with the continuing story, it will not be worse. It'll absolutely be better. And I'm very curious. I'm interested to see. But hey, who knows? I mean, maybe it'll just stop right now. It'll just stop after the first one. It's a shame the game didn't do that. <laughs> but yeah, talk about a dilly of a pickle. Oh man, so interesting. Just like, what do you do if you're this guy, Craig Mazin, and this is the source material you're presented with? Like, whoo, <laughs> you know? But again, I'm very impressed with, even though the first game, like, was, it was, well, okay, that's another thing, I guess, that I brought up in my little Last of Us book, is I, I didn't, I guess, also have a particular faith in the idea of adapting The Last of Us, because the first game is kind of by the numbers. It's kind of a by-the-books apocalypse zombie survivor man and his child story. There's not really that much unique in it, except perhaps that at the end, Joel is a lot harsher than you might expect. 
but a lot of it is kind of by the books, which in a video game I thought was a good idea. But that also impresses me about the show is, like it would have been really easy for this to be a bit plain, you know, for people to go like, man, we've already watched 800 seasons of The Walking Dead. We've already had so many zombie movies. We just, even if it's HBO, we just don't need another one of these. I feel like that could have been quite easy to do if someone had just done a direct adaptation of The First Last of Us. But the show has really, it's really shoring things up and strengthening things and making it feel like a TV show. Telling the same story, but adapting it wisely to a new medium. And yeah, with The Last of Us 2, it's just uh, the assignment is different. It's way different. <laughs> you know, it's just like, The Last of Us 1, it's like, here's the Lego castle. And then your genius friend comes over and... Uh, Instead of following the directions, he like rebuilds the castle into this new neat way. And it's like, wow, cool. Where The Last of Us 2 is just, here's all the Lego bricks dumped out on the floor. <laughs> you know, there's just no structure you can use here. There's just nothing particularly valuable about this bizarre tale. I sure would not want to be the one to have to uh, fix that shit. But uh, who better? Who better than Craig Mazin, you know? <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see what he does. It's going to be fucking cool. So, all right, thanks for listening to me, Yammer. Uh, if this somehow is the first of these little podcasts you've stumbled upon, what this is is a feed for... I wrote a book about The Last of Us, and uh, this is just the audio feed version. But if I'm being honest, the written version is a lot better. <laughs> I don't love myself as a narrator or host. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily my greatest skill set, but the book, I feel like, is still real good. So uh, if you go to keithcourage.com, the book's right there. You can just download it for free. I hope you check it out. Thank you very much. Adios.